0: Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, where we are highlighting, showcasing, and spotlighting great leaders of faith who have overcome adversity, cultivated resilience, and served others in a significant capacity. So settle in and be encouraged by this episode of Last in Line Podcast. Gentlemen, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Larry Hagner, the founder of the Dad Edge podcast and movement. A lot of you already know who Larry is. He founded his platform, the Dad Edge. I think it started out as the Dad Project, but in 2015, he got this calling. He felt this passion, this conviction to really equip himself by Learning from other dads, equipping himself in fatherhood, and then in turn equipping other men uh, behind him that follow him that even preceded him. He's got such a huge following, guys. He's got 30 million downloads of his podcast. He's got 200,000 social media followers. There's 50 men in his exclusive business boardroom, mastermind, and then another 800 men in the Dad Edge Alliance. Uh, He's been married for 20 years. He's got four sons. As he puts it, it's kind of like a fraternity house in his house, and uh, I have four children as well. I know exactly what organized chaos looks and sounds like. It's an honor to have him back. He's been on the podcast. He's an author. Um, He wrote a book called The Dad Edge, and actually, I believe, is about two release another book coming up and and that's not really a spoiler alert because i think we discussed it the last time he was on and he had some snags in the in the road with uh his former publisher but he is back on track with that initiative back on track with that book and it's going to be coming out soon can't wait to get my hands on a copy of that so guys you know larry Hagner, you know the dad edge you know what value he brings you know how he's equipping guys He's got so many resources on his website, too. Um, He's got a uh, training on there. He's got marriage training. He's got 25 questions that you can instantly connect with your spouse. He's got a resource for creating more patience. Um, Again, like like I said, the book that he has, and in addition to just his amazing content on the podcast. So, gentlemen, uh, without further ado, help me welcome Larry Hagner to Last In Line Podcast. Larry Hagner, thank you for not running the other direction. When we invited you back to last in line podcast, how are you doing? Are you kidding? I don't want to be
1: last in line. I don't want to be running. I want to be first in line when it comes to last in line podcast. That's a lot of lines in there.
0: I see what you did. (laughs) I see what you did. Well, we are, uh, you would not make a very good Marine because apparently the highest decorated officer eats last in the chow line in the Marine Corps. So, my dad was a Marine, but I had nothing to do with the name of this podcast, ironically enough. So it's kind of cool, though, that they do that. I didn't know that. Um, so you and I'd be at the front, I guess, of the and line.
1: Plus, I like food. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't
0: know. It, that one's tough. But. Yeah, I might be able to take over a few Marines for for the right chow line. Maybe. There you go. Maybe not. All right. Well, man, I appreciate it. You, you got a lot going on. You got a big event coming up that maybe we'll talk about later. Uh, you got a book coming out. Sometime soon. Um we're gonna get our hands on that. And so I'm gonna try not to be just a canned Larry Hagner interviewer guy. I'm gonna ask you a few weird questions, a few off the beaten path questions, but I've heard you talk about before, and I've never got to mention this to you, but I wanted to today. You were in device sales first, medical yeah. device. So that's what I've been in for six well, not device specifically, but I was in device, but for 16 years been in medical, and I was doing device heart uh cardiac monitor stuff. Um, but I knew when you said that, I was like, oh dude, we've been in the medical space together. So uh were you doing the dad edge while you were doing device or did you just kind of hang it up and say I'm all in with the dad edge back when you started in 2015?
1: No, I I was doing both. Um to be honest, like when I first started Dad Edge, like the podcast, like I I think things that like really sort of I guess launched. I mean I, I started the blog in 2013. Okay. And, um, and then I started the podcast in 2015. And, uh, I, you know, it, it was, I never meant for it at, at all to become a business, an organization, a community. It was mm-hmm. literally just a podcast. It was something therapeutically for me as a hobby, as an outlet. And, uh, yeah, I was absolutely doing both. I was, I was working, putting in my hours. Uh, uh and I was, uh, I was also, I was doing that in my, in my full, my spare time. Interesting thing is, is that I was obviously more busy, you know, doing dad edge and medical device, but I was somehow, some way a way better performer. I I have some theories around that. Like, as far as like, I mean, like the last six years that I was in the medical device industry, I made plans six years in a row. And like that had never happened in any other division, you know, cause usually if you make plan, they'll give you a more aggressive plan that probably won't hit but I kept hitting it, kept hitting it and six years in a row hit plan and, uh, and then left. But yeah, I, I did it. Um, the interesting thing too, is that as the mastermind grew and the group coaching grew, um, I, I was, I was, I was scaling it at the time because I had to, like, Mm -hmm. I had no choice but to scale it because otherwise then my full-time job would take a hit. So I was literally Mm -hmm. scaling up a business because I was like, man, we can't I can't I can't I don't have the bandwidth to possibly serve these guys. So I've got to bring in other people to help me. So and I did that. And then I was also able to work my full time job effectively, obviously, because of the numbers.
0: That's crazy. I remember when I was in device and I was literally I was number one in the company in 2012. And then I know exactly what you mean when they make sure you're not number one again, because oh, yeah. the scaling of the of the yeah. quotas definitely takes a hit. But um, OK, well, cool. I'm glad we have. That. I mean, I knew we had that commonality, but uh, I wanted to ask you how you were doing both and if you were doing both. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Do you find that there was value in the quality of just being in the flow of the mission versus like you said, I never thought it was going to be as significant as it is right now. And you never saw it being what it is right now. Like, do you think early on there's some value in sort of not, like not being so micromanaging of that long-term vision?
1: I, you know, looking back, you, you know, just quote Steve jobs. You can't put the, you, you can't connect the dots by looking forward. You can only connect them by looking back. And to be honest, like um, I think, you know, doing both roles at the time that I was doing both roles actually served me in both roles. And I'll give you an example. So if you really look at what dad edge is, it's personal development for husbands, fathers, and men, right? It just, it helps us to become an overall better human being and to create better connections with people, better relationships with people, have conversational excellence. So the things that I was learning, in that edge from like all my podcast guests, I would absolutely use those things in my full-time job. One of the coaching certifications that I got was called exchange, which is based on appreciative inquiry, which is basically facilitating um, highly engaged meetings. Like normal meetings are like people who are like, literally they want to poke themselves in the eyeballs and they're in a boardroom or they're in a conference room. They're being talked at, they're not being, there's nothing collaborative about it you know the exchange approach and that coaching approach is very different it's actually like bringing all what we call crowdsource wisdom it's bringing yeah. people into the mission bring the, the best ideas actually emerge like your job as the facilitator and the coach is to actually create the environment where people want to bring the best ideas to the surface they want to bring the best strategies right and Quite frankly, the reason people don't do that is because they don't feel psychologically safe. I mean, how many times have you been in a a meeting, a quarterly business review or a boardroom meeting and people are like, does anybody have any questions or comments after they've been talked at for like two hours and you're just like,
0: they're just ready for it to be over. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're just ready to be over. Or they're just like, I don't know if I, what if I ask this question and they're going to be like, why are you even asking this question? Or what if this strategy I propose is wrong, but, Mm -hmm. or if it's looked at or laughed at or whatever people don't feel, but if you know how to create that, like, so when COVID here's a fascinating thing, when COVID hit, everything that we had to do went virtual. Mm -hmm. So my boss actually saw my skill in being able to create these highly engaged virtual meetings. He's like, dude, he goes, can you train our entire management team? There's 140 of them. Can you train all of our management team on how to run this? Because on zoom calls and conference calls, everybody's checked out. Nobody wants to engage. All these reps are just like doing whatever they're doing. Like, can you help our managers basically rebuild how they do this? And I'm like, yeah. So I like literally held trainings on how to run a highly engaged conference call over zoom where everyone felt a part of the team. There was higher morale, better ideas emerged, all these things. So that's a long way to say that like, the things that I was learning within dad edge and even my coaching certifications was able to help me become a way more invaluable, a way more valuable employee at the time, which was really fascinating. I didn't expect that.
0: Yeah, I will. I'm going to have to probably pile onto that and, and co-sign what you just said. Cause in my sales job, I'm still in medical sales, but in any sales job, it's all about listening. Obviously like that's a duh moment, even though some salespeople still don't get that, but I interviewing obviously I'm supposed to be doing 20% of the talking and you're doing 80% and that's really paralleled in sales. And I've found I get way more time with the, with the customers. I get way more attention. I get them to elaborate a lot more whenever I'm literally empathy based listening and they don't feel like they're being sold anything. And, and that, I mean, it's funny because I'm just listening to you and then I'm migrating conversation and transitioning and and just asking the right questions. And that, that'll work anywhere. I mean, that'll work with your wife and I know you've probably covered that in, in your communication. Uh, it was a great episode, by the way, I don't know if that was last week or the week before, but 10, 10 ways to communicate better, I think. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks for convicting me. Um, I'm sure I'm the only one that was convicted, but uh, that was good content. Um,
1: I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. So the dad edge, I know it used to be the dad project, I think originally in its inception. Right. And so that edge, give me an idea, give the listeners an idea what you think the edge really looks like. Like if someone says I've got the edge, right, I've got that it factor, whatever you want it to be. Can you kind of nail that down into a couple things? I mean, it's a broad range, but what's the edge look like as a dad? A hundred percent. So,
1: you know, you you look at someone like a Marine, right. And you compare them to an everyday civilian you mentioned, you know, the the term Marines, right. And last in line and uh, Marines have a very distinct set of skills to make them, you know, absolutely deadly in combat. They have mm-hmm. an edge, right? They have an edge against their, en- the, when they're up against their enemies, the same, and they have an edge when in, when compared to a regular run of the mill civilian, right? Uh, they know what to do, when to do it and they don't rise to any occasion. They fall back on their training, mm-hmm. the dad edge. And I would also say the man edge, the husband edge, whatever you want to call it. Cause that's, we, we, we teach all three is we align those skills and tactics with that. So like, for instance, if you want to better communicate, like I I, I love, I love helping men with marriage. It's one of my most favorite mm-hmm. things to do. So when I ask men who come and do life with us, like, so for instance, as you and I are talking, we're two weeks away from what we call class five of creating extraordinary marriage. We have 21 guys who are going to do life with me over the next 14 weeks. And I'm going to teach mm-hmm. them 10 skills around conversational excellence, communication, connection, and intimacy that they don't know. You know, mm-hmm. using, using empathy is one, right. Using labeling, mirroring, voice tone, generative questions, creating mm-hmm. a vision, uh, the environment, psychological safety, core values, love languages, and, and another, another skill we call the cube. Um, all of these things are so important that give a man an edge. And if, if they want to communicate with their wife, so like, for instance, that's a toolbox of 10 skills that I can use to, to basically go to a, what could be a triggered conversation and have conflict resolution. It'll help me um, be very clear with my communication. It'll help me become a radical master listener, empathetic listener. Not only am I going to be listening, but I'm going to let her know I'm listening and there's ways we do that. That's the edge. When I ask men who don't know those skills, quote unquote, maybe maybe they're they're not familiar with that edge. And I ask them, what do you want in your marriage right now? A lot of them will say, I want communication. And this is where I'll press. Well, if you want more communication, what do you mean by that? What do you want? I hear two words all the time. I want more or I want better. Mm -hmm. That is not the edge. More and better is not the edge. That is like, I just don't want what I have right now. That's usually Mm -hmm. what they're saying. I -hmm. want, and I want better, but I don't know what better looks like. So like, for instance, I'll hear things like this. Well, if you had more time to talk to your wife, what would that accomplish? And then you'll start to see them start to think, and they're like, well, we would have more time. To talk about more things. And I'm like, well, what more things do you want to talk about? You see, I really dig. And they're like, well, you know, I I want to, and this is where you really get to the really the beautiful heart of men. You know, they're like, I want to talk about our goals and dreams. Like, I, I want to talk about like things that I do that make her feel loved. I want to tell her things that make me feel loved. Like I, yeah. I, I want to, I want us to feel like we're kind of dating again. I want to ask her about like her dreams for the future and like our dreams for us and the things that we want for our kids. I want to be able to talk openly about our sex life, like all these things that are intimate things. And I was like, if that's what you want, then you have to learn the skill of creating an environment of psychological safety where the other person feels free to share those things with you without free, without judgment, without pain, blame, Mm -hmm. or guilt. You also have to create the physical environment for a conversation like that to flourish. You have to be an empathetic listener. You have to listen for emotion and then label that emotion. You have to be really good at generative questions, right? Mm -hmm. You also have to be really good at not using the word why and instead say, hey, tell me more about that. The word why is accusatory subconsciously. Tell me more is an invite it's these little tiny tweaks in everyday communication that literally make all the difference in the world. And that my friend is the edge. Mm -hmm. And what most people don't do, or they don't understand is like, Hey, I'm going to go into, I'm going to go into war and I'm going to be a Marine, but I'm not doing any type of basic training. I'm just going to go in and hope it works out. And that's the way we, we, we go about our marriages, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. because quite frankly, we haven't been taught not to do that instead yeah. the marine says oh no no i'm going to basic training i'm going to learn all these skills i'm going to become dangerous and then i'm going to have the edge to protect myself to defend my country to de- to defend my brothers against that enemy and i know how to do it and yeah. this is no different
0: yeah i uh and and to add to that i mean those are those are gold and and to add to that though you can't just hear it once and then expect to execute. I mean, it's got to be like practiced. Right. And yeah. you probably mm-hmm. the expectation of yourself in that moment needs to be set realistically to, OK, I'm probably not going to be perfect right away because let's face it, i built oh, yeah. the bad habits over years. I'm not going to build the good ones to, not today. So right expectations and then just right reps, I would say, of of doing the right thing and applying what you're teaching has got to go a long way. It's got to be it's got to be kind of expected on the front end.
1: Can I, can I speak to that whole perfection thing? Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if you even meant to do it. Like, is that, is, is that's a goal, mm. right? But I think mm. of that's that, I think what you just said is, is in the mind and heart of most men, mm-hmm. like it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be perfect. It's gotta be flawless. Oh no, it, it absolutely does not. It, it's gotta mm. be progress. It's gotta be a little bit better than what you were yesterday. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, w- this was on Instagram. It literally just, it just happened yesterday. Um, it, it was actually, it was a short reel on how to use tactical empathy using emotional labels when I was on John, um, um, uh, oh my God, the Punisher. Holy crap. I'm I've, I've seen,
0: I I saw, I saw it and I can't remember the guy's name. Oh my gosh. He, was, I mean, he was new to me, but
1: the, the, the real ones like, um, anyway, John, uh, John had me on his podcast and I, I, there's a short reel of like, Hey, if you really want to, if you really want to let your wife know that you're hearing her and you want to become a really good listener, don't just listen for words. Cause most men are like, well, if I hang on every word, that'll be good. But what you're doing is, is you're hanging on words. You're not listening for what, what we call the emotion, right? The emotion is actually what connects us as human beings. So if I can, see my wife and hear my wife and, you know, understand what it is that she's feeling. I become a much better listener and I become much more engaged in the conversation and she feels much more connected to me. So I, I, that was a short reel on that. But, um, what a comment in the comment section was like, bro, that doesn't work a hundred percent of the time. And I'm like, and I, I normally don't comment back on people like that. And I'm like, uh, what does work 100% of the time. I was like- yeah, And define work said, too. Right. That's
0: the other thing. Define what work, what
1: is working. Right. Like what is so it? That, yeah. It's supposed to be majority, right? It's supposed to be that it works more than, it works better than what you're doing today. So like, for instance, I said, yeah, I go, I don't know a batter who's ever hit a thousand. I was like, but I know really good batters who hit 300. Yeah. Jordan only made- Um, I think it was 48% of the shots that he took, which means he missed over half of the shots that he took. There is no perfection, but there is the practice, right? There is the tactic, you know, there is like, Hey, I'm going to shoot this way. I know, I know how to release the ball. I know how to jump. I know how, what I'm looking at that doesn't guarantee it's going to go in the hoop, but it does guarantee it's got a much better, much better chance of going in the hoop. If I follow the tactics And the skill and quote unquote, the edge of doing that shot, it increases the odds, but it's not, nothing's going to be bullet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mechanics, you know, you got to work on mechanics and then eventually those position you for success. And, you know, if to the person who said it doesn't work, I mean, to me, a work might be different than it is for you working like me getting through a conversation without a fight with my wife. That may be a win. Okay. So whatever I did worked to you, it might be, Hey, you know we we finally became intimate after a conversation that's a win that means it worked whatever i'm doing yeah. so yeah that doesn't work 100% of the time i think could be real real relative uh well okay so in my opinion you can't have too much of a good thing so the message that you have over and over and over still is resonating still is effective have you ever come across like this feeling of and I feel like I'm saying the same. I feel like a broken record. What prevents you from getting stagnant in your mission or the movement or the message? Like, is there any maybe defense against that that you have tactically or is it, there's no real danger of that because what you're doing is working, what you're doing is needed and it's good information. Like, is there ever any risk in it sort of becoming redundant or stagnant?
1: I think that there's always a risk. I mean, I'm a realist when it comes to that, but I also know that it's the simplest things that work, right? So like I always like to compare things to sports, right? Um if you have you know, if if a batter gets up to the plate and he has a die-hard routine to get his mind and his body in the zone to make sure that he is fully present and engaged and while he's getting ready to swing that bat, and you see it all the time. Different batters will come up, they'll do their routine, swing the bat twice they'll kind of like look over they'll kind of shake their head or do whatever right that they do to gear up for that but um what i think is most important is that you've got to simplify this and that's one thing that that we've done at, at that edge is that we've we've made these things very simple for you to implement and for for them to do now in my personal life like i'll share this with you right i believe in conversational excellence with your kids And I'll use that one thing as an example. Conversational excellence creates connection to your kids. I'm sitting here. I have a 17 and 15 year old and they love being at home. They love hanging out with us. They love spending time with us. Like everyone has always told me, and I, I, I encourage every person who's listening to this podcast, don't buy into the BS story. When people tell you, oh, just wait till they're teenagers. They won't want anything to do with you. They won't listen to you. Right. Right. If you do the right things, if you connect with them, if you get into their world, if you're genuinely interested in them and you have these, you go to every conversation with curiosity and appreciation, even when it comes to life lessons and, and, and quote unquote lectures, I don't lecture. I ask my kids really good questions for them to come up with their own solutions. So I don't have to lecture. And usually here's the funny thing, whatever it is my kid is going through that I feel the need to lecture. When I ask the right questions the solution that they come up with is usually better than whatever lecture I was going to lay out for them that they were going to probably disengage in anyway. So I really and they believe- came up with it.
0: That's and even they better. Came up with it, right. Yeah.
1: So like, for instance, and I'll give a uh, co- part of conversational excellence and, and the skill that we call generative questions is most people go, you know, they ask their kids, how was school? How was your day? Do right. you have homework? Right. It's, it's these default questions that really don't provide any connection whatsoever. But if you get into their world and you ask a curious question, a question that generates something that was a challenge or something that was really, really good that happened to them or Mm -hmm. something that they're excited about the next day. So I don't like asking. I I ask my kids, what was the best part of your day? Now, does that question get old and stagnant? Yeah, it kind of does, right? Even my kids will be like, so you're going to ask me what the best part of my day is? I think you can vary up any tactic because really what I'm looking for is tell me something that you're grateful for today. Tell me something Mm -hmm. that was cool that happened today. And what I'll do is I'll simply reword that question. And I'll just simply say, tell me about a time today where you made somebody else laugh, Mm. right? Now for them, that's a high point moment because they made somebody laugh, right? Or tell me how you helped somebody today. Or tell me, teach me something that you learned today that you think I might not know. Right. And it can be anything. And what really what I'm looking to do in that question is it's not so much the answer that comes back. It is the answer that comes back. But I want them to go on this conversational, emotional, connected journey with me is really what I want. Yeah. Because and then when, when they're storytelling and I don't get a fine, good, busy, crazy, boring answer, which is those are all one word answers. Fine. Good. Crazy. School is boring. Yeah. I want a story. Right. Right. And when I ask my kids like, Hey man, tell me, tell me how you help somebody today. And they'll kind of like, think what I want them to do is think because they're searching and they're thinking and they're like, actually, so there's this kid named Kane, the true story, this kid uh. named Kane in, in summer camp, he didn't, he couldn't score a goal in our soccer game to save his life. But I noticed that he was kicking the ball with his toe. And what I, I, I helped him, I went up to him and I told him how to like, just hold his foot to the side just a little bit to kick it. And he, he, he didn't make a goal, but he kicked the ball way more accurate. And I thought I was really helpful. And then that's, that's when you can be like, dude, that's amazing. Like, yeah. how, and then, then I just get more curious. How did that feel to help somebody? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh yeah, it, it felt really, really good. Well, how do you think Kane felt after you helped him? That, Connecting those dots for them Mm -hmm. and only by asking questions, like that's how you provide like these really fruitful connections and conversations. And that's how you can get sort of out of the stagnation. Yeah. Every question and every story will build on another question and another evolution into that conversation. So yeah, you can you can use the same questions and they get stagnant. But I just encourage guys, vary them up, get creative. You know, even get humorous with it, right?
0: Well, and, and your guys, I'm sure, I mean, guys are always hungry for something that gives them, like we talked about earlier, the edge. And guys are consistently l- looking for ways to be better. I mean, that's just how we are. I don't know if it's an inner compet- competition with ourselves, or maybe just this kind of defense mechanism against the culture that we're trying to resist right now because it's super – super evil and coming for our kids so we got to as dads we got to be kind of on that front edge of our seat and be proactive um well i was going to do something different in the beginning but we i mean we got traction really quick and so i'm going to fold this in the middle um and do sort of a hypothetical i'm going to have you finish the sentence for me okay we're going to have this kind of a virtual coffee shop that you're sitting around talking to your three or four closest friends um as a man, I could be more intentional in the area of. As a man.
1: I could be more. Are you, so this is for me or I'm advising people.
0: Yeah, it's your it's you. You're uh, saying me. these words. Yeah.
1: So as a man, I could be. and I'm getting better at this. More
0: intentional. At, yeah. More,
1: more intentional at uh, listening to to God and not talking so much. Like, when, when I, I did this this morning, uh, I, I do the same routine every single morning on my way to the gym, I pop open the hollow app and I listen to the gospel. I mm-hmm. love listening to Jonathan Romy. And then, you know, it's like, he guides you through this 10 minute thing. And it's like, you know, what do you want to say to God? And then today I was like, let me just listen. So I think it's, and, and some really, really cool things came back from, mm-hmm. from the, just that listening. So I could be more intentional about not so much not doing so much talking, but doing more listening when I'm my prayer time.
0: That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, be nice for me to know what's God and what's my own agenda too. Yeah. Uh, having discernment. Um, all right. How about this? This is you here. The three keys to connecting with my wife are.
1: Mm. This is, uh, this is fresh off of a date this night is right out night. of your,
0: okay. This is right out of your book or out of your last episode or whatever, the 10 communication, but go ahead. Three keys. No, this,
1: this is even fresher than that. Cool. Uh, so my wife and I, I've been working with a coach for the past three months and we just, uh, culminated today. So we just went on, I just graduated from his program today. And, um, the last thing that I had to do was sit down with my wife and, she had to list the things that make her feel most loved and the things that make her feel most unloved. And then I had to do the same back to her. So like, for instance, I'll give you five, uh, the things that make my wife feel most loved are when I'm aware. And I asked her what that was about. She said, when you're aware of the surroundings, you make a mention of the things that I do, even the little things like going to the grocery store or cleaning up, a a, the living room or, or seeing how I redecorated a room or decluttered something, um, uh, mm-hmm. also when you kiss me on the forehead, uh, that, that shows that it's just such a sign of love with no agenda. Uh, when I'm heard, when I know that you're listening and you're not in your phone, you reflect back to me, like some of the things that you might've heard when I'm heard, uh, very specific compliments, not necessarily like how great I look, how my ass looks in jeans, but how does my hair look healthy? Do my eyes look bright, things like that. And then, uh, the other thing too, is when I, when I, full force, take all four boys and we go do something we just give mom a little bit of space. So that's literally fresh off of that's nice. 12 hours old.
0: Nice. I mean, doing what you do kind of holds yourself accountable. I mean, you sort of have to walk the walk, right? You can't just have a bunch of masterminds and books and, and, and content on podcasts. You got to actually walk in those it. shoes, don't you?
1: You do. You, you hundred yeah. percent do. And then when dark times happen, because I'm not immune to them, uh, you feel like the biggest imposter on the planet. Right. Mm. Um, but we all, we, we all do, you know, it, it's, it's how quickly can we become aware and how quickly can we pivot? Yeah. Because what a lot of human beings do is we simply, simply just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, expecting something different. Mm-hmm. And this is why I want to, I, I steer clear of perfection because quite frankly, if that's what, if that's your measure, You're never going to hit it and you're going to give up. So you might as well look at progress. Am I better than I was yesterday? And my one other thing I'll share with you too, I just took my, my whole family. This was on Monday, took them through a process, um, where they had to rate me on, on 10 different things. And it was a scale of one to five, one being you never do that five being you always do that and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And I got to, I got to, I got to here's some things I was doing really good, and some opportunities that really shined a light on some things that I could be better at. And uh, but I think it's sidestepping the ego, an understanding of like, okay, great, the things that are going great, I'm going to double down and do those more. Mm-hmm. The things that are an opportunity, I need to not just th- this is I can't stand this. I need to be better about that. So like for instance. One of the, there were two things that came back that I, that I have opportunities for. One is, um, being calm under serious duress, like where the kids are going crazy and there's lots of stress in the organization or there's something like I could be, my kids, my kids told me, they're like, you're not necessarily like outspoken, like impatient or, but it's this vibe. It's this very distant sort of cold kind of vibe and you're short and you're curt with your words. Like we just kind of get this feeling like, uh, don't mess with them. And we don't like that feeling. And I don't like to give off that feeling. The other thing too is, uh, and so if I could be like, well, I need to be better about that. Well, a way that I could be better about that. And I just posted this on Monday is I'm now taking five minutes before I close my work day, just go from work dad to family dad. And I literally write down, I write down just one page. It takes about three to five minutes. What am I specifically going to do tonight to, to be the best possible person? I can be? And I do it tactically. When people look at me, I'm going to look at them in the eyes, despite the stress I feel, I'm going to try to spread joy. And if I do feel stress, I'm going to share what's going on, not keep it inside. So they at least know what's going on. Cause people, when we yeah. just simply share like, Hey, I had a really bad day today and I, it, and it's, it's hard. I'm carrying a lot right now. Yep. When we just simply even share something like that from a tactical standpoint, like the edge standpoint, right? It at least gives our kids to be like, oh, so it's not me. I didn't do anything wrong. So, okay, great. At least you're aware of that. And there's something to be said too about someone who's self-aware. There's a reason mm-hmm. why Michael Scott is so annoying in the office. There's a reason why Michael Scott, no one, no one on his team trusts him is because he is mm-hmm. the most unaware person of himself. But even if we're having a bad moment, And we're aware enough to communicate why and how that's going a lot further than i don't know i'm fine just bad day
0: right right gentlemen let me take a step away from the conversation real quick to let you know of a new resource i have just published the link will be in the show notes to purchase it but if you've ever felt like you didn't quite understand The spiritual battle in the supernatural realm that we fight in daily. The Bible talks about powers of darkness, demonic forces, evil and good, darkness and light. We are at war spiritually. If you haven't ever quite fully comprehended that or understood how to approach that battle and tactically, strategically engage in that war, I've created a simple handbook, guidebook, roadmap that is straightforward, simple, short, But it's extremely useful and might serve you in this battle of spiritual warfare. It's called Operation 333, The Little Black Book on Strategic Spiritual Warfare. Grab a copy today. Share it with somebody that you know that is... Maybe you can do a Bible study together with it. Maybe it can be a resource for small groups. Give it to somebody. They're priced very competitively. You should be able to buy a handful of those and then give them away to your friends. I might actually have a drawing for those that email me. I can draw your name and send you a free copy, but email me at leadership at gmail.com. I hope it serves you. Let's get back to the conversation with our great guest here at Last In Line Podcast. Yeah, no, that's good because you're, I mean, we'll add that to your list of things that you do well because you read my mind. I was about to say uh, inviting them into your world. There's value because, then there's context to this whole um just kind of grumpy or yeah. yeah just yeah give me five minutes or you know you're like that's super vague i mean what yeah. give me some content so it's good to sort of let them know and it's not like you have to be that transparent every single minute of every day hey guys the wind blew out of the north today i'm not feeling it you know leave me alone that kind of stupid but but i get your point because that's exactly where i was going to go next um but that's good man um all right, how about this? We we'll can get a little spiritual here for you since you brought up God. I'm you're you're right in the right place. Uh how about this? When you're gonna finish this sentence, God is working on me most in the area of leadership. Leadership, really. Considering that you've been doing leadership pretty at a high yeah. level for a while, how how is that? What's the next level? So I am now officially the
1: CEO of data edge like that's like my I'm, I'm officially that like if you really looked at my what I was doing I was more the operations right I was in the weeds of, of our organization um I was in all the things you know and the reason you know I mentioned I've been working with a coach for the past 90 days is because I saw a real gap in uh in in the the next level of leadership that I really needed If you look at like my stint in medical device sales, I was a regional manager. I was also a national sales director, but it's a little different. It's different, but similar. Uh, When you are working for a company, you have reps and, you know, you, you pull levers, right? Or a lot of what it's like, Hey, if you're not making your number, I got to put you on a plan. Like that kind of thing. Like that's not the, that's not the culture that I want to create in that edge. And I never will. Instead, I had to really step into the visionary role, right? And that's what a CEO is. He's the visionary. I now have a COO who is our integrator. Uh, We have an executive assistant. She's been with me for almost six years now. So I really had to, I've got that team. I have another team within our dad edge business boardroom mastermind. I have three other coaches there that I lead. And then we have 50 coaches that lead under the COO. So I really had to understand like, okay, I now need to lead and empower and create and cast a vision and create a culture. And I've never been at the top of any company, but I am now. And now, and now here's the, the feedback from my own team was, I need you to not do these. Like My COO was like, that's operations. Why are you doing that? That's not your job. You need to be doing different things. And I was really scratching my head and being like, what am I supposed to do then? So I had to go learn. I had to go find out. And that's what God's really been working with me on is like, okay, I'm going to put you in a different role now. And I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable role. I'm going to put you in a role you've never been in and you're not going to be able to learn it all by yourself. So yeah, I had to learn.
0: That's crazy. That's I mean, uh, I, I mean, there's an element of humility that comes along with that, but also, Um, it seems like you would just, there there might even, I mean, obviously there's a new skill set because you've, for so long, you've had your hand in different things and it's kind of worked and you've had the plates spinning and now you're sort of overseeing and quarterbacking the ones holding the plates now. And so you're still accountable, obviously, but you're directing and you're casting vision more um, and you're not hands off too. That's the other thing. People, I think misconception with leadership is, that they're just gonna be like, wash my hands, arm's length, I'm hands off, and I'm just gonna look over out, you know, outside the booth over the field. And then when it's a grease fire, then I'll get involved. And and that's you know, that's people don't like that because you're like, I built this, I don't wanna be hands off, but there's an element to where you sort of have to right? You got to get humble. You got to get trusting. There's trust is a big deal with the people that you brought on, but thankfully you've built that team. And so you've obviously trust those guys, but that's got to be a hard thing. How long have you been having to sort of roll with this adjustment?
1: So it's been about nine months and, but I would say I have fully stepped into it in the past four months because we are really in this transitional phase with me getting out of my own way and getting out of the way of the people that do their job best. And what I've really have just understood is like, my job is to, to create the culture and to create the vision of where we're going and how we're going to get there. And then I leave the, the integrator portion to the team. I leave, I leave like, Hey, here's the, here's an idea, right? Here's what I think we can do. Can you help me put the pieces together, and then take those pieces and then put them into play? So, I kind of like the the sports reference with this because I really viewed myself as more the quarterback when we first started. Like, okay, like I know the plays and tell the team what to do. Well, then I moved into I think with, you know the the head coach role, yeah. right? Where I'm now telling the quarterback what to do. Mm-hmm. But this new role is I'm up in the press box now, yeah, and I'm watching. All the pieces happening now, not just like, Hey, this is our next play, but like, let's look at everything that's going on. So it's a very different view from there. Yeah. Go
0: ahead.
1: Like I've actually have had to eat more humble pie in this role than any other. Like I've had to, my team has had to tell me, stop, get, get out of my way. Like, like you're actually slowing us down. It's really odd. Like I, when I first stepped into this role, I thought like at every meeting, like I had to be the one to get into the how and have all these new ideas. And I would get frustrated when my team was, was resistant to it. And I'm like, what, what, what's wrong with you guys? Like, this is what we're doing. And they're like, dude, when you do that, we've been working on this, this, and this over here, and we're just about done with it. And you come in and you just like unravel everything. Like you can't do that. And what I really found was, is if you're the CEO, you need to do a whole lot less talking, whole lot more listening, create that culture where people can flourish. And then, I mean, granted people need guidance, right? But once you start getting in the weeds and barking orders and taking power away from the people you're trying to empower, that's not going to be a good thing.
0: It's no, a really it's, delicate dance. Yeah, you've had to yeah bite your tongue a lot. And it's good that you have people that are comfortable enough to be yeah. very authentic with you and open verbally with you to say, hey, chill. All right, we got this. You're really kind of being counterproductive here the yeah. more you get involved. I mean, it's nice to have that because toxic culture would have backbiting. Would people just kind of have the yes men walk away and then be unproductive or you know, destructive to the organization and the vision, but your guys are at least open with you and you're, and you're taking it and that's good. You're taking it. And, uh, that part in that first four or five months, I'm sure was an adjustment and you probably wish you maybe could undo some things that you may have done, or, or maybe you would give yourself some advice on how to do that first three or four months differently. Um, what would you say to somebody? Maybe they're going through that. Maybe somebody's having to, a little bit of a transition in that, in that vein a little bit. And what, what would you say? Hey, if I could talk to Larry back, you know, nine months ago, I'd tell him this.
1: Talk less and listen more. Right. The other thing too, is it's not how it's who. That was a big one for me. I'd get into the how and I'd overwhelm myself and I'd overwhelm my team. I'm not the how guy. I'm the what guy. I'm the where guy, not the how guy and mm. i'm okay with that i don't want to be the how guy the how guy is the integrator right yeah and the how guy is they put the pieces together i do not want that role i i hate that role so like for instance um <clears throat> we just created a brand new program in the alliance which is our that's our flagship program so that is called the first three months a man enters the Alliance, we, we, we've, we've called it the dojo. We call it the dojo for a few different reasons, but we call it the dojo because it's the first three months of a man's journey. And what we've done in that first three months is it's a diehard curriculum that creates accountability. Most importantly, it creates connection. It's the same team. It's the same team captain. These guys meet with the same group and it's a, it's an incredible an absolute incredible program and it's an incredible kickstart for a man Hmm. and what we have found, you know, so like we had this grand idea of like, Hey, this is how we can do this first three months differently to really like get a man ready then for the Alliance, which is they then enter into what we call Alliance proper, but putting all those pieces together, it sounds super easy, super easy. But when you get into the how, you're like, wow, there's a lot of moving pieces here. There's a lot of communication here. There's a lot of things that need to happen. A lot of eyes that need to be dotted. A lot of T's that need to be crossed. And I want to create the dojo and I want to create that culture and I want to create that connection with these guys, but I am not the one to dot the I's and cross the T's. That's somebody else's job, that they're way better at it than I am. Yeah. So that's an example of we just went through this process.
0: Wow. Yeah, know. I mean, I guess growing pains is a thing. Uh even though it may not be super painful, it's it's a growing adjustment and you got to account for different things to maybe increase in the capacity and bandwidth of the organization. You got to put on a few different hats and it sounds like you now you're wearing the Miyagi the Miyagi hat if it's a dojo, I guess. But um man, uh, let's talk a little bit about fatherhood a little more, I guess yeah. we should say because we did talk some about that, but what are you seeing maybe as a common thread? Uh, that is the brokenness on an aggregate level with dads? Like where's the biggest vacancy would you say right now? Not guys in your group because obviously those guys are sharpening their edge and and getting better every day, but maybe when they come to you or maybe things you're hearing from emails and DMs, what is sort of a common theme of the brokenness out there in dads? There's a lot. That's a big Mm -hmm. question. And I'll, Mm -hmm. and
1: I'll probably try to dissect uh, each one of these. So, um, let's talk about the perception that men have, the perception of fatherhood and even marriage. John, I I don't know. I don't even know where this came from. I I don't know. And, but it's, if you really zoom out from this perception that I'm about ready to lay on you, it makes no sense Mm -hmm. whatsoever, but somehow, some way we have all bought into it. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to go sell a medical device like you do and I did, then I, I, so like, if I'm going to go sell heart valves, like I, I need training. Like I, I need to know the anatomy and physiology of the heart. Like I need to know what the atrium is, what the ventricles are, what the mitral valves are, all these things. Right. I need to know what oxygenated blood is. And, and and I can't remember what, what the other oxygenated, what, what the other type of blood, but I need to know some basics on anatomy and physiology. I need to know exactly what does the device that I sell, what problem does it solve? I need to know how to guide a surgeon, how to put this thing in, right? And I need to know, I need to give him all the side effects. I need to give him all the pros, all the cons. I need to help him make a decision of, is this right for this patient? Now, I need to be trained on that. So you go work for Medtronic or Cardinal mm-hmm. Health or whatever else, it doesn't matter. They are going to put you through a rigorous, Oh yeah. you know, 90 day 15 week training right and you got to go through you even got to go through aseptic delivery which is sterile delivery of of surgical devices before you can even step into an or yeah so like but and so we fully expect that like okay i just got my job at medtronic okay i'm going to go through four months of training okay i can't do really anything until i've graduated this training and then i can go in the operating room and then i'm somewhat dangerous (laughs) right and but over time to keep your job. I don't know about the company you work for, but we were required to have continuing education we had yeah. to go get certified and recertified in things. When it comes to marriage and fatherhood, our perception is I should know how to do this automatically with no help, with no development, with no skills. And if I have to ask for help, I'm broken. I'm not a man. If my wife and I have to go to couples therapy, something's wrong with us. We're, we're headed for disaster. Dude, if I could literally shake a man by the shoulders Mm -hmm. and just say, that is the complete opposite of this whole thing. You actually have to take the same approach to this whole thing of like, I don't know what I don't know, and but I need to go learn. I'm not saying you got to go get certified in marriage, but but if you are not continually learning how to connect, communicate, love, support, all these other things that is so important to us as fathers. You are missing the boat big time. If you are not learning it is this, Mm -hmm. the concepts are the same. So that the perception is one. So change your perception to like, you know what I need, I need to learn some things in order to be effective. So that's one number two is most men just, we, we, we lone wolf everything. Right. I put a video out about like this lone wolf syndrome and man. I saw some of the YouTube comments on this of like, you know, how this really hits for men. We are physically surrounded by people, but when it comes to this iron, sharpen, iron sharpens iron mentality, you know, we we go at life alone. And for some crazy reason, we think that that's that's a good thing. But human beings are tribal beings. We mm-hmm. we are community creatures. Right, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest misses that we could do is like, listen, there's there's somebody who's ahead of me in where I want to go. They've already paved the way of success, right? A Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm about ready to sign up for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The 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 instructor, they actually call them a professor. The professor and the other students who are ahead of me have already paved the way for my success. Why would I go try to learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu all on my own? when I can sign up for this school roll with other students who are going to make me better work with an instructor who knows what he's doing versus trying to figure it out. And, but you do that in community. You
0: don't do that on your own. So that's, let me, let me add something there if you don't mind. Um, I, I wonder if guys think that like back to the perception thing, of course, but it's all about what we think others are perceiving about us because, I mean, it's obvious if I'm going to go hunt and I've never hunt before, hunted before, I mean, it's obvious I need gun training, safety training. It's obvious I need to know how to load a gun. Like everybody thinks that's obvious. But I think as guys, we think the world already expects like when we have a kid or we put a ring on our finger, then it's just the world just kind of thinks you're good. Like you should know. Like, but we don't have you don't have any problem. When you're going to sign up for jujitsu, asking for a coach, asking for training, let me watch this, and before I do it, somebody tell me the pitfall, like we don't have a problem when it's something we think people perceive us to not know how to do, Yeah, right? Like I don't – you walk in the dojo for the first time, everybody's going to go, he doesn't know what he's doing. So then you're okay with going, somebody help me. Yeah. But when you get married and have kids, you think people are looking at you like, Okay, dude, you did it. You must know what you're doing. Go figure it out. I mean, that's the furthest thing from the truth.
1: I agree. What, do you see my hat? Yeah. Wildcat Ranch. Wildcat Creek Ranch is what it is. This hat is a hunting hat. Now, here's what I'll tell This goes right along with your story. I, I've i always told my boys I was basically raised without a father. When it comes to the outdoors, like I know how to camp and I know how to fish. I don't know how to do outdoors any more than that. I don't know how to hunt. I've never hunted in my right. life.
0: Same.
1: I've always told my, I've always made my boys this promise. I'm, there's a really good chance. I won't be able to teach you everything that you, you want to learn, but here's what I promise you. If you want to learn something, I will go learn it with you. And I think hmm. when you wait, listen, if you're humble like that in front of your kids, like I think the, another, another perception as a father that I think is off is I got to know it all. I don't think that that's the case. I think you can, you can actually teach humility and coachability by being like, I don't know, let's go figure it out. Never too old to learn. Let's go.
0: Yeah. My
1: kids are always easy, eager to learn, which is great. But I think it's probably cause they've seen their old man go through that. So last March I've never hunted in my life. My 15 year old Mason, he wanted to go hunting. I'm like, I've never hunted. I was like, ah, let's go learn together. I was like, I'll find a place that basically all we have to do is show up and they'll take us through everything and yeah. we did. We found a place in Texas, Wildcat Creek Ranch, and we showed up and it was probably the one of the most amazing experiences we've ever shared in because we were both brand new to it. I showed up, he showed up. They we they trained us on the firearms, they took us out. We got 3 pheasant, 19 quail, and we were we had a guide every step of the way. And it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. And you know why? Because I didn't have to know all the answers. I didn't feel the pressure of like I got to teach this kid. The only thing I did was like, "Hey, let's go learn together."
0: And did that diminish the experience? Not at all, right? It enhanced the fact that you needed help, right? There you go.
1: It put us on the same. Now there are some things like fishing that that I feel pretty. I feel really good. I'm like, "Hey, here's how you tie a hook on. Right here's how. This is the bait we use for this and that." But dude, there is nothing cooler than going to learn something with your kid that you've never learned before because it puts you your kid views you mm-hmm. as like
0: you know like hey man we're we're going through this together for the mm-hmm. first time like how cool is that right right yeah that's good man that's so cool i'm i'm the same man i have i don't hunt uh got firearms but we don't hunt we don't have hunting firearms but yeah i'm with you i've I've never had a kid really express to me that he, that he wanted to do that, but fishing's always been a thing. And so, yeah, I could be a little bit more, I guess, diverse in my hunt, in my outdoor skills, uh, in certain things. But now that's a good point. Where in Texas was that? Uh, it was in Detroit, Texas. And, uh, so it's about, uh, two hours Northeast of Dallas. Northeast of Dallas. Okay. I was going to think it was more like West. Okay. All right. Well, I'm in Houston, so the next time I'm holding you to this. Next time you're anywhere down in South Texas, you gotta let me know. Um, I will. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we may have to do this again sometime because, uh, man, I've got a lot of stuff, and and we've talked about a lot of good stuff. So, uh, I want to be respectful of your time, but um, I I do want to know. I'm interested to know how. You're going about these conversations with your kids because you're very communicative with your family and you're very open. You get them talking. It's not didactic. We're, we're getting dialogue. It's two way. What conversations are you having with your kids, especially the older ones, about the woke culture that we're in and some of the messiness and some of the wrecked complexion that we're seeing when it comes to faith, you know, gender, when it comes to race, I mean, any of the woke umbrella stuff, are you having any of those conversations? Are they curious? Are you curious whether or not they're curious? Like, well, how does that go with you guys?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it, this is not usually something I talk about too terribly publicly, but I'll, I'll, I'll I'm definitely open to opening it up. Uh, You know, so, Here is what I see going on in the world right now. Uh, We're living in probably one of the most dangerous times I think we've ever lived in. Uh, I just had Sean Patrick Flannery on the podcast who just played in the movie Nefarious, which I love that movie. I thought he played, he did a bang up job, but here's what I'll tell you. We're in a society right now. We're in a world right now where good looks like evil and evil looks like good. And we don't know the difference that's terrifying. Right. And I honestly think like, so for instance, from a political arena, right. Um, I'll just be fully blunt. I don't agree with the person who's running the country right now. I think he's a crooked dude. Mm -hmm. And, and I have my own, my own opinion on that. Mm -hmm. And I don't like what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. I'll also say this, uh, the whole, you know, LGBTQ. i don't I don't even know if i'm saying the acronym right it's a lot of a lot of um, letters yeah you're right this whole thing of pronouns and you know we now have to um we now have to buy into like so for instance there's a kid that my kid goes to school with who thinks he's a cat and yeah. he wants to be addressed as a freaking cat yeah and i'm like you know when i went to school when you and i went to school that would never fly Uh, you're not a cat, you're a human being, you're a boy, period. That's the way God made you. And I I honestly think all the the, the spiritual warfare, I I don't think this is a human thing that's going on. I think it's spiritual warfare is what I really think is going on. Mm -hmm. There's so much confusion that's being created right now that if you're against that, you're evil, Mm -hmm. right? But if you look at what's even going on in schools and what these kids are subjected to, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, and, and they think that they're doing like, I'll give you an example. And again, this is my own opinion, probably super controversial. I think it's wrong. I think it's irresponsible. I think you really need to look in the mirror as a parent, if you're allowing your seven-year-old to choose whether they're a boy or a girl. And let me explain that. If the message in in this, in society and the message in school is if you're, let's just take a boy, if you are not interested in a girl, or if you don't find girls, like if you're not, you know, if, if you don't like girls, right, then you could be a girl or you could be gay. Dude, what seven-year-old, what seven-year-old boy doesn't think girls are disgusting? Like, I mean. I'm not saying all of them, but annoying. I remember, yeah. They're
0: annoying. Well, yeah. Yes. They're
1: annoying. Don't touch of them. Course. They're gross. Right. Ew. Right. My, my kid's seven. I'm like, you know, we joked. I was like, "Yeah, any girlfriends? He's like, "Ew, gross. No girlfriends. No. Exactly. But the confusion that you might mess with someone who's got that mentality is like, well, if I think girls are gross, does that mean something's wrong with me? Cause the rest of the world is telling me that that might be a problem and maybe mm-hmm. I'm this. So I think, <laughs> You need to look at a kid's development and their brain development of like if they're uncertain about you know that it's uncertain meaning like they're a boy yeah if they think girls are gross that's probably normal to some degree and that doesn't mean that they're a different gender or they identify as something different yeah i think it's really irresponsible for kids to be subjected to that now here's what i'll say also am I against gay people? No, I, I don't care if you're gay, if you're gay, yeah. I, I am not against you. And I am not, I'm not racist. I am not like, I have, I have friends of mine who are gay. I don't, I could give a shit. if yeah. they're gay. I don't think anybody like, is actually care about, saying that. Yeah. 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 I, I just, are you, a, are you a decent human being? Right. Yeah. Here's where I have a problem. Is when you force your agenda on a kid that can't make that decision. That's, right. that's where I have a problem. That's right. right. Because kids can't make up their own mind. That's that's the rub I To have me, that's, that. so a, I are, mean,
0: you use some words to describe it. I would say it's abuse, ultimately, when you're indoctrinating elementary school kids with literature in the libraries talking about, graphically sexual things. I don't even care if they're homosexual or not. I don't think that elementary school kids don't need to be reading about sex. So it's crazy. But yeah, I wondered if you ever, because you are so kind of locked into, you know, being a a dad who communicates, I wonder, because there's probably a lot of dads that shy away from those conversations. There's some dads whose teenagers are in that environment and they don't know where to begin on how to direct them so obviously you and I would agree that we stand on what the word of God says and we stand on biblical truth and that's the capital tr- T truth. But I wondered if you've ever had those conversations with your teenagers yeah. and are like, man, you know, I, this is what we stand on. This is what we believe and that's against it. So we're not in favor of that, but we're not saying go pick every fight that you see in the hallway either.
1: No. So, um, you know, we're, We have, we have open conversations about it to answer a question. Yes. Yeah. You know, we all agree that there's a spiritual battle going on. Here's the other thing too, though, is I get really curious with my kids. Like I don't, I don't preach to my kids of like, you need to think this way. Right. Instead, I ask them questions to understand how are you viewing it? Mm. You know, what, what is this doing to you? Is this creating any confusion for you? Like, tell me what's going on in your mind and your heart as you're kind of exposed to this kind of stuff. So that Mm -hmm. way, they at least have an outlet or a guide or someone who's going, they can confide in that they can talk about this stuff. And here's what I'll tell you. um, My boys are not on board with this. Yeah. Like, and it, had, it has very little to do with like, you shouldn't be on board with this from me. It has everything to do with like, this is not what I believe. Like, and they're very honest and open about why.
0: That's good. No, that's good. Uh, again, the more questions we can ask, to sort of see where they are and meet them right there in that conversation is the way to go. Um, well, Hey, uh, this is good, man. I I have one question more. Um, but before I, before I go into it, I want maybe, maybe have you tell us when you think maybe we can get our hands on the new book. And because the question I have at the end is worth ending on. So that's what I, that's why I'm doing this now. Uh, and then the event you have coming up, I wonder if that's even still open for people to get involved and, and sign up or not, but talk about some of the stuff you got coming out. Yeah.
1: So we have the book, uh, I have the book, uh, the pursuit of legendary
0: fatherhood coming
1: out and it should be released. I mean, I would say probably before the end of the year, it was supposed to be released last year, but uh, mm-hmm. my publisher that was going to publish it went bankrupt and really yeah. created a massive delay but the book is completely done has been done for over a year so i would say sometime before the end of the year uh the event that you're talking about is the fifth annual should be the fifth annual it's the fourth annual that edge summit that's because of COVID, we had to skip that year uh this year i'm i'm really excited about it above and i think we only have about 30 tickets left and uh but yeah go on to the website the forward slash summit 2023 but i'm i'm really really excited about this year because we've always done a really great job and we've seen our feedback of men leave that event, you know, feeling 10 X how they entered as far as like the arsenal of tools that they have. And we went through a few of them today, but we teach these things at this event Um, leadership skills, communication skills, marital skills, parenting skills. But this year we're going to be teaching all that and different things that we have in the past, but there's going to be one thing that's different this year every single man is going to be leaving with an incredible artifact in their hand Mm. and it's called the legacy letter. I'm really excited about one of our keynote speakers, Blake Brewer, who is also on the today show. He is the founder of the legacy letter, the legacy letter. I don't want to spoil it because he's going to take us through a two, two hour workshop on writing this letter. And every man in the seat is going to write the letter while he's there through this guided process, but every man is going to lead, leave, with this letter in hand for what he stands for as a man, as a husband, as a father, what his family stands for, this letter will be passed down to his kids. And that letter will be passed down to his grandkids. Mm -hmm. This will be a generational impact on paper that men will be able to pass down for generations to come, just like a family heirloom. So, you know, we've always been able to have our guys leave with things that I would say are less tangible, right? Because they're more uh, skills that we can use to connect conversationally and lead and that kind of thing. But this is actually something like
0: in hand that they'll leave with. Whoa. I mean, that's, that's heavy. Uh, And that's, man, that's cool. I've thought a lot about stuff like that. I've actually thought about even just doing a podcast that may live forever. That is a verbal letter like that. To my grandkids, you know, to my kids and just having that episode out there for four or five generations to be able to, yeah. assuming technology stays consistent. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. I just wanted to ask this at the end. So I know you went through the project, Timothy, uh, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, maybe, um, or it was a two year project. I, maybe you just last year went through it or finished it um, with. So. I know you did it. I think with one of your sons. Am I am I correct in that? So, uh, or you did it with a guy, and then you did it with a son. I can't remember. Am I right? Close to that's correct. Yes. It's it's
1: called uh, Operation Timothy. Operation
0: Timothy. Okay. All that to say, man. Okay. Once your family and I don't know the exact day that you guys decided. Okay, this is what we're going to believe and stand on, and this is how we're going to live. But what impact has? you becoming stronger in your faith had with the type of dad you are the type of husband you are the business you're running how it's grown so exponentially like what what can you say about the faith journey and all of the fruit and all of the byproducts that come from strengthening that walk
1: such a such an incredible question Um, I would say that it's made understanding scripture less overwhelming. I would say that's like the, that's the easy button, right. Um, and how to incorporate and how to understand how does, how does scripture really impact, you know, my life, right. And how do I give it also? And how do I live it in a way? Mm -hmm. And my perception before all this was like, well, man, I got to be pretty much perfect in order to even be like a follower or faith. And if, if I'm not, then I'm just, I'm just, I'm just an imposter, right? I'm just a guy showing up in the seats on Sunday. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. I would say the whole evolution, there's been several different things that have happened going through Operation Timothy helped me deepen a relationship with God and understand what type of God we have, Mm -hmm. right? understand scripture and the importance of getting into scripture every single day. But what really sealed the deal for me is, um, when I watched the chosen Hmm. that above all, um, that series, if any of your listeners haven't watched that, it's, it's worth a watch, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, it's really worth a watch because it's so well done. Dallas Jenkins does such a good job Hmm. and Jonathan Rumi who plays Jesus does a great job, but I didn't know much about, the apostles. And this is what I'll share with you. And I didn't know that, that I couldn't really understand how the type of person that Jesus was until I saw that on screen. And so the, the interesting thing about Jesus is that he knew that there were people, like he kept saying in the chosen, what I have to say will make se- will make sense to some, not to others right and really understanding what his mission was right to, to give us an example of how to live our life we're never going to live up to that example
0: but we mm-hmm. can try
1: at least we have like okay now i know what good looks like or what really good looks like the other thing too is is that um he was here to obviously for all of us to be saved through him but also to you know take the jews the gentiles the samaritans all these people that were against each other and say we don't have to have a divide. We all Mm -hmm. answer to the same God and he is this, this, and this, and, you know, break these barriers down, which I think if you really look at what's going on in society, going back to our conversation 10 minutes ago, Mm -hmm. these barriers are getting bigger and thicker Mm -hmm. and now evil looks like good and good looks like evil. Um, but going back to that, I really actually relate to the apostles Mm -hmm. like, you know, John and, Simon and and Peter uh, I'm sorry um Andrew and like all these like if you really look at the series have you watched it? I've not. Okay, you got to watch it. I don't know why. The, I really have the, no answer to that why I haven't watched it yet. It's it's incredible. Um but if you really look at the apostles like I always thought I would read the Bible and the apostles like they just were just these flawless human beings as well and they knew what was going on and they're just like yep we're good. The apostles were like I don't really know what's going on. Do you? No, I don't really know either, but I'm going to I'm going to continue to follow him because he's, he's, I really feel like he's right about a lot of things, right? (laughs) But like, they had no idea what was even coming next, but they knew that there was a mission and a purpose and reasons why they were doing it. And they were just obedient. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said about There's so many messages in that series. Like, Mm -hmm. so for instance, like, I now have a different view of, and these are conversations I have with my kids of when we go through challenges, crucibles, and even some suffering. It's really to make us stronger. Mm -hmm. And before I'd be like, God, why the heck are you doing this to me? You must be really evil. Mm. It's actually not the case. It's kind of like a Navy SEAL going through buds. You know, I'm putting you through this because it's going to make you a badass soldier. Yeah. Right. It's, It's the it's it's to make you unfluffy. Yeah. And that's you know, God will test us. And that's that's okay. Um the last and final thing I'll say is this. Um it's helped me become more gentle with my kids. Mm. Because if you really watch Jonathan Romey and how he plays Jesus in that character, he's very graceful like he's not judgy like and i think a lot of people they view faith and christianity as almost judgy it's guilt it's all this mm-hmm. and and jesus gave a lot of people grace mm-hmm. you know he gave a lot of people leeway and forgiveness and um, even when he, even when it made sense for him not to so for me it's it's allowed me to be a more compassionate father it's allowed me to know that <laughs> This one will make me kind of emotional as I think about it. The way I view my kids is a gift that God has bestowed upon me as their earthly father. Mm -hmm. I need to be really, I need to take really good care of that gift. And in times where I feel tested, the human being side of me, that's where I really need to dig in and be like, can you help me? Cause you gave me these kids as a beautiful gift. And I don't, I don't want to mistreat this gift. I don't want to lead this gift on the wrong path. And I definitely can't do it by myself. So it's allowed me to be that medium between my boys and their heavenly father, which I take as a great responsibility now. Yeah. Um, last and final thing I'll say is this is my nine-year-old. He asked me a beautiful question a couple of weeks ago. He's like, how do I pray? Hmm. So we went through the ax acronym, you know, the ax, which is, um, adoration confession thanksgiving and supplication mm-hmm. and he's just able to follow and you just saw the light bulb go off of like oh my gosh i can like follow that and like just have a conversation i'm like yeah that's really it and um it's helped me when you see your little boy
0: light up because he now knows how to pray that's like, crazy that's it's amazing. so cool yeah wow dude wow yeah. i mean that thank you for sharing that because that was, that's the way to end the, the podcast right there. I mean, I love the foundation you're laying. And it sounds like, cause I remember last time we talked to your, one of your sons actually had you guys try a church, you know, because you guys were considering different churches and he was like, well, oh, I think we should. And then you guys tried it based on, so your kids are involved in 100%. all the faith discussions too, which is beautiful. Um, yeah. So no, dude, I thank you for coming on. It's good. It's always good to talk to you. It's always good to watch. Your work and, and man, the, the platform and the business organization is just is is exploding and, and doing amazing stuff. And and as always, we're grateful for you to be here. Uh audience, he has been Larry Hagner. We've been last in line. Be blessed.